0: Hello and welcome to Manageable Conversations, the podcast where we speak to leaders across industry sectors. In each episode, we discover what helped them in their career, how they stay sharp, and their tips for managers to get the best from their teams. I'm Farley Thomas, the co-founder of Manageable. We hope this podcast inspires you to be a great leader by learning from others. One
1: massive thing for me that I wish got a lot more attention in terms of the things that managers can do is we so often think about the corporate accommodations process which is providing solutions for individuals who require a sort of deviation from whatever the company norm might be.
0: That's Danny Fountain, five-time author who by day works at Google hiring the world's most talented software engineers. By night, she supports clients and brands with diversity, equity and inclusion strategies. In this episode, Dani shares her perspectives on the duality of DE&I, contrasting authentic initiatives with performative ones. She also talks about growing people first as part of a company's growth strategy, how she prefers getting feedback because of her ADHD and autism, and how she thinks of herself as CEO by night, something we might all want to consider for ourselves. Hi, Danny, and welcome to this Manageable Conversation.
1: Hello, Varley. Thank you so much for having me.
0: It'll be great to get your take on leadership and your sense of your leadership style.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting question, especially as the climate of what work looks like has changed so much in the past couple of years. For me, leadership is balancing the ability to be transparent with your team and really pulling them alongside you with the necessary steps of actually getting things done, managing performance. So it's finding that delicate balance and then creating a team culture that really thrives at that intersection of giving the team a tremendous amount of respect and also giving them the benefit of transparency and insight into decisions being made while also still getting things accomplished.
0: Danny, there's a few things that I know you've coined that I was eager to get your take on, one of which is a playful question perhaps that you're asking, which is imagine if companies focused on growing people first. What specifically do you mean by that?
1: Tactically speaking, humans, human capital is quite literally one of the most expensive components of any company, paying salaries and benefits and all of those other components. There's a huge investment there, but so often we don't think of centering those very same humans in the way that we think about the growth and success of the company and what the company is going to look like long term. Whereas if you were to grow people first, centering those people, centering their needs, centering a respectful and collaborative workplace first, you actually and inherently would release a lot of the limitations on a company's growth. If you think about the startup mindset of, oh, if we give employees capital or equity in the business, they're going to feel like owners. And they're going to want to grow the company more. That's true. Yes. And if you treat employees with respect, center their needs, prioritize a workspace that really works for them, that level of respect can have the same power that that financial equity component can have. So it's really just centering the humans, that most expensive and most critical part of the business in the way that the business thinks about growth.
0: What I'm curious about is your own experience. Were you centered in the way that you're advocating? And what are the impediments still? Why is this still advice or an idea that needs to be shared?
1: The way that we still value business is almost 100% centered on financial output. The responsibility to shareholders, the responsibility to the board, the numbers that the larger business community relies on and anchors on is that financial growth, that financial output, which doesn't hold a lot of space for centering people. It's the short-term gains conversation. We prioritize those short-term gains over long-term success. But centering humans and creating that respectful, collaborative, person-centered work environment results in the long-term outcomes. But can sometimes be painful in the short term. And so I think it's that broader need to almost be willing to release the ego of what might happen in the short term for the success of the long term and also shifting the mindset that not all of a company's success is financial.
0: What experiences have shaped your thinking about this and seemingly giving you the conviction
1: For me, I think the interesting thing is I started independently consulting or freelancing when I was in high school and did that in college or university as well. And so when I entered the corporate workforce, I had this almost duality and who I was as an employee. At night, I was, to put it frankly, the CEO of my own business, making all of these decisions, having a lot of power and authority. But of course, by nature of where I was in my career, in my day-to-day role, I was an entry-level employee. And then throughout the course of my career, over the past however long that duality has always existed. I'm growing in my career as a corporate professional, but at the same time have had this parallel experience where for more than a decade, I've been a frankly, quote, CEO at the same time. So it makes it very interesting to flip back and forth between the mindset of where I'm at presently as an employee and what sort of volume that affords my voice because tenure and position within a company very frankly has a stronghold on that volume meter that your voice has in a workplace with at night full volume full force all the authority and decision making that i could possibly want for me it's been understanding and respecting the Status quo, the need to grow within a career, the recognition that growing and producing results affords you additional layers of respect with that delicate balance of if we don't listen to new and rising generations entering the workforce, we're missing out on something. And so for me, it's been seeing just by nature of what I'm doing outside of work and everything that I have going on, seeing that there is power in entry-level and mid-career employees' voices that we're not necessarily endowing them with. We're asking them to suppress that voice for the sake of the company structure, for the sake of the status quo, for the sake of respecting those who have been there longer. And it's kind of almost finding a way to respectfully resist and subvert that because listening to those younger, fresher voices can actually have a really powerful impact on the way a company grows. I mean, I think often about what if Instagram had listened to its younger employees before TikTok was so powerful? What might have happened?
0: And there are so many other examples, aren't there, of organizations that have missed huge opportunities because they're stuck with the past or being orthodox in some way. Are there some hacks, Danny? What sorts of things can organizations do, practical things that would get them moving, shifting in the direction that you're advocating?
1: Yeah, what I'm talking about here is a massive culture shift and not something that could happen overnight. But if a company, again, everything's centered in finances and data and results, if a company wanted some data and results to demonstrate that this mind shift, has power in their context, they could create an avenue where individuals with ideas, regardless of level, regardless of tenure, can surface those ideas and not just surface them without fear of retribution for them being not part of the trajectory of the company or not baked into what's currently happening, but also... Elevating these ideas in a way that the idea itself is actually respected, taking each idea individually and considering it from a default mindset of, this is possible and powerful, instead of, oh, this came from an employee and we're just listening to them for the sake of making them feel heard. It can be an easy way, but if done poorly, can also be incredibly harmful so it was a tiny step, just creating that avenue for employees of any tenure and seniority to share innovative ideas that they have and have those ideas actually be listened to and genuinely considered. Perhaps it's even a bonus that's associated with the ideas that do get implemented to make it really have that validity.
0: I wanted to check because you talked about the duality of your own work and then I think you also talk about the duality of DE and I, and I'd love for you to unpack what you mean by that.
1: For individuals that hold a marginalized identity, the idea of DEI isn't a corporate initiative. It's centering their identities in a way that they haven't experienced. DEI as a corporate initiative has two sides to it. The first side is Building employee retention through creating avenues for them to be respected and valued for who they are at work. But then, inversely, the way that corporations speak to other corporations, DEI is a PR tool. Who's doing this better? Who's doing this bigger? Who's doing this bolder? Who can get credit for recognizing the current most marginalized group? So, for me, the duality of DEI is the competing priorities. DEI at its core is providing everyone the same amount of equal human respect.
0: Are there some specific examples that you could share where firms are on the right track, doing something authentic rather than performative?
1: Yeah, I think a lot about the example of Patagonia here in the States. If you're familiar with Patagonia in general, they've always taken A very loud stand in favor of the environment. They were one of the first companies to stop hosting Black Friday sales, which here in the States is the day after Thanksgiving, huge, huge, huge sales in anticipation of the Christmas holidays. They were one of the first companies to say, We don't need to do this. They were one of the first companies to really revolutionize the way that their supply chain looked from a sustainable perspective. And that has also trickled through to supporting indigenous persons throughout the country. And the biggest step they just took is rather than the company be an inheritance item or an entity that continued to just amass wealth, the founder, CEO basically changed the structure of that entirely. And all of the profits from Patagonia are now for philanthropic efforts. And that to me is authentic allyship. Of course, there are still holes and issues with the execution of that, but quite literally putting your money where your mouth is, is very authentic allyship. Performative allyship, on the other hand, is engaging with movements and moments, perhaps only on social media.
0: Is this what you are talking about in this new book on checkbox diversity, where people are kind of riding this wave rather than doing anything substantial or authentic.
1: Yeah, the title of the book is Ending Checkbox Diversity, which speaks directly to this idea of DEI being a checkbox item on a larger corporate to-do list and doing it for the sake of, oh, we've checked the box, this is something that we're doing moving on, versus actually seeing it be pulled through the entire company being pulled through the mission, the way that the company thinks about making money and creating actual lasting, meaningful respect for all of its employees.
0: I wonder if I could change tack a little bit, Danny, and pick up on something else which intrigued me where, you know, you talked about being an employee by day and being CEO by night. And that sounds like you never get any rest. (laughs) How does that work?
1: It's an excellent question and it's a a rising occurrence. More than 50% of millennials and Gen Z folks operate in this dual space, have a side hustle. And for me personally, it was a shift away from this idea of work-life balance to the idea of work-life integration. I'm not the first person to say this new way of thinking about it, but basically work-life balance implies That the scales of justice, work sits on one side, life sits on the other, and they're always perfectly in harmony. Neither side is weighing more than the other. And that in and of itself can create an impossible standard to chase and can sometimes cause you to forego things that you might want to do or career advancement opportunities or personal opportunities because they would break the balance. Whereas work-life integration acknowledges that that perfect equitable balance only lasts for a second. And instead, seeking to weave the two together in a way that's really healthy and in a way that creates that happiness. Like for me, that looks like on my lunch break, reading a book that's not work-life balance. I'm not stepping away from my computer, but it's work-life integration in that I spend that hour consuming a novel that has nothing to do with my work. That's just a tiny example. But basically, it just weaving the two of them together creates the space for rest. We're talking this morning right before my typical workday would start, and it's time that I would have been journaling or drinking coffee or doing something in the morning, it's integration. It's weaving the two together.
0: What comes to mind when you think about sharing some tips or some areas that managers should give a lot of attention to that they might not be right now?
1: I think one massive thing for me that I wish got a lot more attention in terms of the things that managers can do is we so often think about the corporate accommodations process, which is providing solutions for individuals who require a sort of deviation from whatever the company norm might be for whatever reason. We think about this as a formal process that requires documentation, substantiation, HR sign-off, when really a lot of these accommodations are just great ways to practice. For example, I'm someone who has ADHD and autism and I prefer to get my feedback in writing and I prefer to get it in advance of a meeting. It gives me the opportunity to internalize it and have a really thoughtful reaction versus a distracted and incomplete one. But even if you don't hold those disabilities the advantage of getting feedback in writing in advance can be really powerful because everyone can have a more thoughtful reaction to it. The same is true for some of the flexible work arrangements that become accommodations, even thinking about remote work. Prior to the COVID-19 pandemic, remote work was often an accommodation and not a standard practice that was offered. So for me, the biggest thing that managers can do to really support their teams is Ask everyone on your team how they prefer to work, how they prefer to receive feedback, and tailor the way that you're engaging with each employee in that regard and support them rather than defaulting to following whatever the corporate process might be, especially for those zero-cost accommodations that are really easy to implement within your team.
0: What do they stop doing in order to do this, Danny?
1: It's a good question. I will say, again, my manager has his imperfections, but one thing he did really well is when he first started meeting with each person on my team, he asked eight questions uh, that he had found somewhere that really touched on these things. How do you like to work? What are your goals? The answers to those questions live at the top of his notes document for all of our conversations. So even as we're stepping into the first few minutes of our one-on-one conversation, they're right there and he can quickly refresh himself. So I think it takes a little bit of practical setup, either at the beginning or if you're an established team in this moment to kind of gather the information. But then if you identify a way to centralize them and force them to be in front of you when talking to those individuals, you can keep them top of mind. He also, when he's thinking about performance reviews, he's already flagged who prefers to receive information in advance, who prefers direct feedback, who prefers that softer feedback, and weaves that in. So once you've gathered the information, there are ways to, without taking a tremendous amount of time, ways to embed it in the way that you manage your team. The biggest struggle is going to be that initial gathering.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Danny. And it's a really good reinforcement of the line that managers really do matter. Mm -hmm.
1: Truly, truly.
0: I wanted to thank you so much for taking the time to join us for this Manageable Conversation today.
1: Of course. Thank you so much. We touched on some really important things.
0: If you enjoyed this Manageable Conversation, there are many other perspectives we offer our community of managers worldwide who coach and individuals from all walks of life who benefit from being coached. That's all from me. I'm Farley Thomas. Until next time.